So last week we talked about how as disciples of Jesus, as, as followers of Jesus, our goal is to be like Jesus. That we, we are following him and we're learning from him, and so we make it our goal to be like him. That is, that's the whole point of the Christian life and the Christian experience is, is to be like him. We, we bear his image. And so God is deconstructing us and, and breaking down the things that, that don't look like Jesus and, and reconstructing things back up that do look like Jesus. And we have to be willing to submit ourselves to that process of, of deconstruction and construction in the same way that, that uh, a sculptor chips away all the things that don't look like the final image that it's sculpting. It chips away everything that doesn't look like that to get to that final image. And so if we are really to be like Jesus, we first have to decide that that's our goal, right? We talked last week about whether or not your goal was eating chocolate chip cookies or losing weight. And my goal is eating chocolate chip cookies. And so if, if it's really our goal, if that's really what we're after, then we have to make that the priority. We have to be willing to make the hard decisions of getting rid of things to be like Jesus. But if we're to be like Jesus, that means we really have to think like Jesus. Because at the very core of who he is, we're thinking like him. He thinks a certain way. He believes certain things. He believes certain things about God. He, he believes certain things about, about why he does what he does. And so if we want to be like him, we have to think like him. But if we want to be like him, we also have to, to act like him. And this is where the spiritual disciplines come in, where, where we, we come in and we act in a certain way to help shape our lives to start looking more and more like Jesus. And so if we look at the interaction of be and think and act, uh, it can become quite overwhelming. But, but thankfully, we have God right at the center that empowers us and gives us the strength to do these things. And so in this series, over the next uh, 11 weeks now, uh, last week was 12, we're looking at specifically thinking like Jesus, the core beliefs that we have to have as these core beliefs help define who we are and, and how we view our faith, how we view God, and how we interact with the world. And so for these first couple of weeks, we're looking at the question, who is God? Who is God? Because being able to answer who is God is, is the first and most foundational thing for our faith. That we, be, we have to be able to understand who He is to be able to understand who his son is and who we're trying to be like. And so as we look at who God is, we see all of creation presenting evidence for the fact that there is a God. And there, there's, there's lots of evidence that, that says that there is a God, and so we have to define who is this God, which God, because there are thousands of religions who have looked at the evidences of God, who have looked at creation, who have looked at, 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 at the evidences that they find, and they have misinterpreted that evidence into something else. And so you need the Scripture, the very Word of God, to be able to appropriately interpret who God is. And so the God of the Bible proves that he is the one true God by his promises kept and his power unleashed. 
That because God keeps his promises, because he displays his power, he shows that he is the one true God. And so God proved to you that he is your God because he kept the promise to provide a way back to him through his son Jesus. He also proves that he is your God when he unleashes his power and raises Jesus from the dead. An incredible miracle. This is the God that we believe in. And so here is our first core belief that we're talking about. Let's, let's read this out loud together. I believe the God of the Bible is the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so last week we really spent time looking at the first half of that statement, the one true God. And this week we're going to tackle this part of the statement that says Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because as you look at this sentence, if you look at, at it very closely, you realize this sentence actually makes no sense, right? Because we're talking about one true God, and then we list out three things. One and three, the, the math on that is not quite right. And so there is this strange mystery to the existence of God and, and how we understand who he is. There is one true God. Throughout the, the Old Testament, there is this claim of, of God being the one true God. And, and there is really this contrast that is set up between the one true God, the God of Abraham, and the gods of the lands that they're in. And, and you see this, this battle going on back and forth from, from taking on the Egyptians and their gods to settling into the promised lands and, and, and getting rid of the idols and, and the gods there. We see this contrast going on between the one true God and the many gods of the land. And so this one true God is called monotheism. There is only one, not many. And so we believe in one God. We don't believe in many gods. But yet, you read through Scripture, and even in the very first chapter of, of Genesis, you start to see this, this plural God show up. There's these hints at something being plural. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that that may so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so the creation story tells us that, that when God created, we are created in his image, but there's this plurality of something going on here. There's a plurality of what this image consists of. That if we're made in God's image, then, then this us and this our is what we're made in the image of. And understanding what the us and the our are is important for understanding who we are as ones who are image bearers of God. And so God had this desire from the very beginning for us to experience this type of relationship, this type of community that eternally existed in the plural nature of God, the us and the are, this community that they have with each other. And so God comes and he creates Adam and gives him the breath of life. Throughout scripture we see the Holy Spirit being referred to as breath and as wind. And so God gives Adam the breath, breathes life into him. 
And Adam is this distinct individual, but he also has this unique relationship with God. And then he creates Eve, and, and Eve is created out of Adam, and the two have distinct persons, distinct individuals, but they share one being. The two shall become one. And so there is this oneness between them, but this distinction between them, just like God. And so God is plural. There are, there are these multiple parts of who God is. And so who are these different parts? There are three distinct things that show up throughout Scripture, these, these distinct persons or, or deities that emerge. There is God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And each one takes on unique responsibilities, unique roles, and, and we see how they interact with one another. John starts out, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so here we have the Word at the very beginning, the Word Jesus. Jesus is with God in the very beginning before creation even happens. And we see here that Jesus is interacting with God through the creation. In many ways, God is the architect and Jesus is, is, is the builder. It's through him that the things were made. And so Jesus, the Son, is playing out some sort of role even at the very beginning in creation. Genesis 1-2 tells us that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters before creation. And so we see all three existed before time, before creation. So Jesus and the Spirit, they didn't show up later. They didn't show up as, as some add-on at some other point in Scripture. They were there at the very beginning. And we see all three simultaneously showing up again at the baptism of Jesus. When all the people were baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the Son, so it was thought of Joseph. And then it lists out this whole genealogy, the son of, the son of, the son of, all the way down to the son of Adam and the son of God. And so we see here at, in Luke the, this genealogy and this, this baptism of Jesus where all three show up at the same time. You have Jesus, the son of God, established by God's own words and established by the genealogy. You have God, the father, who is, is giving his blessing. You have the Holy Spirit descending in a bodily form of a dove. And you have these three distinct persons that are fully revealed in Scripture that, that come into this time and in this place and all point to Jesus. All three were involved in creation and all three are involved in the restoration of that creation. And so how do we reconcile this? How do we, how do we reconcile seeing these different, different types of, of descriptions for who God is? 
God is not three separate gods. This would be tritheism, which is in modern-day Mormonism. It is not God who is manifested himself in different roles. This is called modalism. Jesus is not subordinate to God the Father. This would be something that would be consistent with the beliefs of the Jehovah's Witnesses. All three are equal. God is one, and they're eternally existing in three persons. And so theologians have this word called the Trinity that they use to try to describe the concept. The word Trinity is not found in the Bible. You won't, won't find it through Scripture, but, it, but it's a word and a concept that helps us understand how the three of these interact. It's mysterious, it's challenging, it's difficult for our brains to comprehend how three can be one and one can be three. And so one of, uh, one of my very first sermons here, we used some chairs to help describe the Trinity. And so we're going to use some tr- chairs again to help us visualize a little bit of what's going on here. And so we've got, we've got these three chairs that represent the three persons of the Trinity. We've got, we've got God the Father, we've got God the Son, and we've got God the Holy Spirit. And all three of these come together and interact with each other within perfect community. They're glorifying one another. They're, they're loving one another. They're, they're in relationship with one another. There's no one of them that's at the center. There's no one of them that, that, that the other is forced to revolve around. They're all interacting with one another. They're supporting one another. The Father gives all the judgment to the Son. The Son doesn't do anything apart from the will of the Father. Each person glorifies one another. Timothy Keller says it this way, to glorify others means to unconditionally serve them. Not because we're, we're getting anything out of it, just because of our love and appreciation for who they truly are. And so there's this unconditional service and love for one another. And this is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they, they interact with one another. But because God is a God of love, he wants to share that love. He wants others to, to participate in that. And so he creates. He's God the creator, as we talked about last week. And so he creates these other beautiful things. And, and, and he creates... He creates Adam and Eve. He creates us in his image, in his likeness. And he invites us into a relationship with him. And so he makes space for us to be able to be a part of this community, a part of this fellowship. And so he invites us in to, to have this relationship. I'm, I am invited in to be with with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And there is this, this perfect community. But as we read about in Genesis, uh, that doesn't last very long. Because the creation doesn't like being the created. The creation wants to be its own God. And so they move themselves out to become their own God. And remove themselves from the fellowship of the Trinity. 
And over here, there is, there is this desire to be the center of the universe. And, and we invite other broken people into relationships with us, but we really want those relationships to revolve around us. We don't want to be in a perfect community with them. We really want it to be about our own needs, our own wants, our own desires. And so, yes, we will have relationships with other people, but without the perfect community of the Trinity, we are self-centered, trying to be our own gods. Well, the God of love does not like this. And something has to be done. And so a sacrifice is made. And the Son is sent on a rescue mission. And the Son leaves the community of God the Father and God the Spirit and takes on flesh to become like us, to become one of us. And because of his death on the cross and his self-sacrifice for us, he creates an opening and an opportunity for us to come back into relationship with him. And so now this relationship is restored. And we engage in this relationship with God. And because of the love that is shown, with, uh, shown to us, we want to invite others in to join us. And so the mission that we have is to invite others into the community of God. And we invite others to join us. And so this, this helps us break down something that can be a, a difficult concept into something that is somewhat manageable. To say, how is God operating in three persons? And more importantly, other than, it's, it's not just some intellectual pursuit for theologians to understand the Trinity. This has very real implications for our life. Because where are you sitting at in these chairs? Where have you been invited into? And what mission does that give you as a part of that? How does that define our interactions with one another? How does that define our interactions with who God is? We're not living some self-centered life that is, is separate from God. He, Jesus brings restoration with creation, and, and, and through that sacrifice, we're joined back in to the relationship, into the community of God. And so it's the very essence of who we are as a body of Christ, is, is who, we, who we are as a church. We're designed, we're created to be in that perfect community, and we rebel against that, and we push ourselves away from that. There's oneness to be had in that community. As Ephesians 4 says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 
And so in the triune God, in, in, in the Trinity, we see the very essence of the universe, the very heart of, of the reality in which we exist, even if we don't see it, even if we don't acknowledge it. It's the reality that exists. And understanding God as Father, understanding God as, as Son and Holy Spirit, it just explodes with, with life-shaping implications for us and transforms how we exist as followers of Him. God has created us not to get joy, but to give joy. He has made us to invite us into the community with Him. And we're created to glorify and worship and celebrate Him. When you're in this community, in the same way that they glorify one another, we glorify God. So we're not made to be at the center of everything. We're not made to be our own God. We are not God, which is the most fundamental truth of understanding this confession of the one true God. There is one true God, and I'm not it. And we can say that, and we can confess that, but is that how we really operate? Do we really operate like we're trying to be the one God ourselves? Or are we really submitting to the will and to the community of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? How does this bring to light Jesus' command to love God and love others? When we're called to love God, what does that really look like? If we are invited into to participate into this perfect community, loving God is more than just showing up to church on Sunday. Loving God is something that is incredible, and, and all of life goes into glorifying God. And the command to love others, what does that look like? As we're called to invite others into the community of God. With that in mind, I want to reread Acts chapter 17. I read, it, I read part of it this morning in in our welcome, and we read it last week. But I want you to listen to these words in light of what we now know about the Trinity and about this divine com community that we're called into. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him. And find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own, own prophet, poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we're God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent 
for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And so we see here a God who, who creates us and loves us and wants us to join with him in his community. We believe the God of the Bible is the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The power and identity of the one true God is, is highlighted again in Paul's writings in 2 Corinthians. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And so we've got the grace of Jesus. We've got the love of the Father. We've got the fellowship of the Holy Spirit all coming together. All three members of the Trinity are involved in our lives. All three come together with us. God the Father loves us and seeks us out. He gives us a way for us to come back to him, a way to come back into relationship with him. Jesus, the Son, provides the way back to God. He, he willfully offers himself as a sacrifice for us. The Holy Spirit fellowships with us, relates with us, joins us in the journey through life. It guides us, it comforts us along the way. All three provide their own unique roles in our lives, and, and Yet, they're all one, because we believe in the one true God. And so let's recite this together. Let's be standing and recite this together again. I believe the God of the Bible is the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we are invited into a relationship with God we're invited into the community of the Trinity. And as, as we look at this, as we, as we think through this, uh, we, we think about where we sit in relationship to God. Where are we? Are we ones who are kind of, kind of half in, half out, not quite ready to take a seat? Are we ones who are on the outside, completely self-centered and living our own lives the way we want to live? Or are we sitting in this incredible community but have forgotten that we're supposed to be inviting others to join in? We can find ourselves in any one of those to some degree or another. Are you enjoying the fellowship of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Is your life about glorifying each of them, loving them unconditionally, in relationship with them? We all have so much to, to grow in understanding what that even means. And that is the pursuit of the Christian life. To understand what it means to love God and to love others. We're going to spend some time in prayer. 
And this is an opportunity for us to, to confess to one another. It's an opportunity for us to encourage one another. Uh, if, if you are out, out of the relationship with God and you need to, to find your way into that relationship, it's time to confess that you believe in the one true God. You need to confess that. We confess that publicly to each other through baptism to say, yes, I believe. And if you haven't done that yet, we want to do that with you today. Uh, but for many of us, we have made that confession and we continue the lifelong pursuit of, of understanding what that confession really means. And we grow in that every single day. And so what are the things that are getting in the way? What are the things that are distracting you? What are the things that are, are making it difficult for you to really engage in loving God and loving others? We want to pray for that now. We'll have shepherds down front and in the back. We can move across the room and pray for one another. You can get your small group together, your friends, your family, get together and pray. Uh, we can pray for, for any concern that, that you bring in with you today that is weighing heavy on you because God wants to be a part of that. God wants to sit down with you in this close and intimate relationship and say, I'm with you. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word and we thank you for the opportunity to, to grow in our knowledge and understanding of you. I pray that you will continue to open up our minds to think about uh, to even comprehend who you really are. God, for all the situations in our lives that are getting in the way, for the things that are dragging us down, for the things that, that we allow to, to become self-centeredness in our life, we pray that you will, will work in those things. God, show us what it means to love you and love others with every bit of our being. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's pray together as we sing.